Hello and welcome to Tigers by the Fire, a podcast out of Holy Cross High School. This is Season 2, Episode 4, about the Tuskegee Airmen. With me are Alex. Hello. And Ethan. Hello. So this episode about the Tuskegee Airmen is one that I think is very interesting. This is a topic that a lot of people know a little bit about, mostly through pop culture and movies. Uh, So I think a little background is in store. Obviously, the United States in the 1940s was a society that had a lot of racial issues in it. African-Americans were discriminated against on every levels of society, including in the military, where they were set in segregated units. In World War I, most African-Americans were relegated to service roles, uh, not necessarily fighting in combat. And when the Army Air Force or Army Air Corps came about, there was this idea, could African-Americans fly in planes? And that's really where the Tuskegee Airmen are born. So I'm going to turn it over to Ethan, who's going to kind of explain how this topic came about. So the Tuskegee Airmen, and uh, in general, are it's an African American unit um, composed only of African Americans. Uh, this was passed a bit. Well, the actual combat started a bit later in the war um, due to these Jim Crow laws, due to this uh, discrimination. Um, it didn't really allow for much actual combat uh, for these roles, but they were able to get it instilled in the uh, near the end of the war. Yeah, they were uh, restricted at the beginning of the war to more support roles, and they actually had to fight politically to get into those combat situations. So, uh, no, uh, very good point. Uh, Alex? So, of course, when you talk about a topic, you should always put the, get the background on it. So, before, of course, before 1940, African-Americans were prohibited from flying airplane, airplanes for the U.S. military. So, in response to efforts of civil, civil rights organizations to secure equal opportunities for African Americans and media attention to those efforts, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt ordered the formation of all African American squadrons in 1940. This squadron became known as the Tuskegee Airmen, or TA for short. The TA were trained at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. The school was chosen for its commitment to aeronautical training and had the facilities, engineering, and instructors, instructors needed to train recruits. The training program, called the Tuskegee Experiment, was part of the Army Air Corps, and the squadron included pilots, navigators, bombardiers, and all levels of staff and personnel required to keep airplanes in the air. Yeah, I think something of note uh, that, that is kind of relevant to this, we did see African Americans flying in the French Air Corps uh, in 1940, and we, we saw them uh, actually in World War One participate in the French Foreign Legions as well. So I think it's kind of interesting to see that in the United States, we don't develop this program and really restrict a lot of it while other countries who were already at war were, were using Americans who volunteered and went across the ocean. But no, very good. So the main unit of this, of the Tuskegee Airmen, was the 332nd Fighter Group. And uh, Ethan will talk a little bit more about that. So... Uh, the 332nd was, uh, it started with the 99th, which was the first um, squadron to be able to enter Europe. Uh, it's primarily a fighter group. Uh, people deemed it as kind of like an experiment, as we don't know if these African Americans are going to be able to protect American liberties if we sent them out. Um, and of course, the senior proved that uh, the experiment was successful. Uh, yes. Yeah, and that was one of the, I guess, racial theories out there was that they wouldn't be able to do all of the flying and navigating and everything else. And so a lot of restrictions were put 
in the way of these uh, pilots, right? As they went forward in mechanics, didn't matter what it was, anything involving with the aviation aspect, there were a lot of uh, hurdles they had to overcome to actually get their wings and become pilots in the war. Um, I know you guys had uh, wanted to talk about a little bit about Executive Order 8802. Uh, so, so what can you tell me about that? So Executive Order uh, 8802 was basically it prohibited uh, discriminatory practices in uh, sort of wartime productions and uh, soldier training, uh, stuff like that, to where you're allowed to be able to have these African-Americans be able to go to war, even if it's just support roles. But um, as you see at the end of the war, it slowly developed over time. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is that um – 8802 is kind of a start. It slowly gains traction. And really, a lot of it is based around production. And so inside of these factories that are producing all of these planes, we see African-American workers, we see Hispanic workers, we see men, women, all participating for the war effort. And it gets translated into the fighting uh, men that will, you know, obviously make up the Tuskegee Airmen later on. And um, as you go on to those later roles to be able to uh, get into combat, they were able to do bombing strikes. Uh, they were able to strafe uh, railroads, highways near the end of the war. Um, and as they continued to do this, the reputation grew. Uh, here it says there was a military newspaper, Stars and Stripes, who would commend um, the Tuskegee Airmen and try to demonstrate that they weren't this, you know, type of experiment. They weren't something to just be played with. They were real people fighting for uh, America on the front lines. Yeah, I think one of the, the early ways they made a name for themselves was in the protection squadrons for the bombers that were bombing Europe. And so the Tuskegee Airmen would get these these jobs and essentially you have to stay alongside these Liberators or B-17s and prevent German planes from strafing them and shooting them out of the sky. It's a very dangerous task and it was one that a lot of pilots weren't very good at. They would uh, – leave the bombers to go chase off German planes and then the German planes would come in from a different angle and shoot down the bombers. The Tuskegee Airmen were kind of made famous because they didn't leave planes uh, and they, they had the highest success rate of any unit in the war. And like you said, Stars and Stripes started to write about that and they gained a lot of notoriety from it. Um, now, did, did you guys look at the training aspect of these guys? So how – I mean, again, without getting ultra-specific – uh, how? What kind of hurdles were put in front of them in terms of becoming pilots? Uh, because this was a pretty like rigid training regiment that they had to get into just to get in the air. So most of the training was basically it was harder. It was about two times harder. There was a way lower uh, success rate um, for African Americans due to this uh, discrimination in general. Um, because with Executive Eight Eight O Two. They had to be able to allow these African American soldiers into the war, but it allowed women to be able to make the practices and the training harder, so they wouldn't be able to get as much into the war. And this caused this directly caused for the Tuskegee Airmen to be way more uh, fit for battle than the majority of the other soldiers. Yeah, I think that's one of the ironies behind that discrimination is that it it leads to. Uh, this becoming an elite unit because, yeah, they were in the top 90th percentile of all the different drills and tests written and you know physical that they had to take. 
because if they weren't, they got washed out. And so for the pilots that end up surviving all of this training, they end up being very, very good. And I think that's it's kind of an ironic twist to the story because obviously those hurdles were put there not to make them good, but to prevent uh, these guys from becoming pilots. So just to put into perspective of the types of missions that they're in. So these are hundreds of planes that they're flying over Europe trying to protect these bombers, which they escorted to places like uh, like a Berlin tank factory where they got, uh, during the specific escort, they got a distinguished unit citation for, uh, for their three missions during the 24th of March, 1945. And so during this, they're protecting these bombers and they have to fight off the Luftwaffe with their ME262s, which were very good fighting planes, and they were even better than their Mustangs, which which they flew. And so it really kind of puts into perspective just how well-trained they were. They were able to shoot down three of them with uh, their skill. When you start talking about, the, especially at the end of the war, the planes the Germans throw out there, um, obviously having the first kind of jet, uh, aircraft and the Tuskegee Airmen go against those. And that's a pretty remarkable thing. I know you guys have a little bit about certain events that happened, certain um, awards that were given out. But before we get to that, let's just kind of think too. If you look at the war effort, the bombing campaign is something that really transforms the whole war, right? The United States is able to bomb, as you said, you know, a German tank factory in Berlin that cuts down production. That's going to save lives on the ground. Without that bombing campaign, Germany doesn't or, or isn't going to be crippled uh, in terms of production-wise. And so this is immensely important to the war effort. I just wanted to make sure we stress that out. And the Tuskegee Airmen, by protecting those bombers, end up you know, obviously saving the lives of those bombers, but they end up saving lives of American, British, and allied soldiers all across Europe. And it's, it's a really important aspect. And a lot of people don't realize that the United States bombed during the day. So these are very, very dangerous missions. Uh, they don't have cover of night like the British, and it is, these are everyday affairs. So, very good. Overall, the Tuskegee Airmen uh, downed 108 enemy aircraft. They were awarded 744 air medals. They flew a total of 1,378 total combat missions. They had 179 bomber escort missions and only lost 25 bombers. They had 112 enemy aircraft destroyed in the air. 150 on the ground, and 148 damaged. They were also able to, of course, go after rail cars, trucks, other vehicles by destroying supply lines that the Germans needed, and but that helped the Allied forces. And so, and they, they were even able to uh, put a destroyer out of action. And, of course, they got other medals, like one silver, silver star, 96 distinguished fly, flying crosses, 14 bronze stars, and eight purple hearts, and uh, three distinguished distinguished unit citations. And so that just shows you how just how well skilled these fighters were, and how they were able to really show through these medals that yes, they were very good at their job. Yeah, this was one of the most decorated uh, escort units in the in the war. So they yeah, obviously. Uh, showcase their skill. I know, uh, Ethan, you were about to add to something. Yeah, uh, I just thought it was going to be important that uh, to note that basically, like uh, a great majority of many of these um, awards given to the Tuskegee uh, Airmen were given 
years later after um, the World War uh, because of the, uh, these, you know, the discrimination back in America's, um, you know, you'd have reports of African-Americans staying in France. Um, and it's just, it's awful to see how America was at that time when they did all this stuff for, uh, for the, their European front. Yeah, uh, they, they, they end up getting a lot of war- awards in the 80s and even 90s where you see recognition of their actions, which is just crazy to think about that it took that long to recognize some of these people. And, and they do get awards uh, during the war, but like you said, a lot of the stuff is given out much, much later, and a lot of these people are dead by this point too, which is even sadder because they never get to see some of the uh, the fruitions. But I know presidents from Bush all the way through Obama would have the Tuskegee Airmen come in and come to the White House. So it was you know, they, they did eventually get recognized, though they were all old at that point. Right. Um, next, I got uh, uh, a specific from the uh, 332nd, uh, Archer Lee. Um, he's probably one of the most notable um, Tuskegee Airmen uh, to date. He's got about four uh, confirmed aircraft kills. Um, three aerial victories in one day. Uh, some people refer to him as an ace, which he denies, but it's uh, it's important to know that he went. He underwent uh, he underwent very difficult training. Uh, in a class of nine hundred ninety four, he was able to finish training for the block aviators um, and one sixty nine combat missions. Uh, this quote I have here, I think, is um, pretty vital. Uh, I flew 169 combat missions when most pilots were flying 50. Um, I think it's important because he knows that the Tuskegee Airmen were not able to get into those combat roles. He knew that they weren't allowed into those roles. So by him saying this, he's trying to set a an example, in a sense, um, that he was able to do all this great stuff um, be this extremely decorated um, war hero, um, but he wasn't able to help his comrades. Uh, and as you see, he has about 100, uh, 119 more um, more combat missions than you see And it's just sad to see that they were placed in these support roles when they could be doing much more. Yeah, and, and that's very uh, indicative of the time period, right, where America struggles with issues of race and is openly discriminated against people. And in a war, right, the war to end all wars, you're telling people that we would rather you not fight and die for our country because of your race. And it's kind of a – it's a crazy thought I think to think of now in this time period. But it was a very real thing back then as obviously we'll talk about when these guys all go home uh, to the realities that America essentially was in at the time. Looking at, let's see, I know we have Colonel Benjamin uh, Davis. Yes. So what can you tell about him? So he was very important because he organized and commanded the 332nd. And he would be the first African-American to earn the rank of general in the U.S. Air Force. And that's that's significant because you have an African-American having the first leading role and commanding his own unit. And I think that was, I thought it was really significant to any discrimination that, yes, this man was able to lead and control his own unit. Yeah, and, and that's going to be you know, a big-time thing. And we see that post-World War II in general, especially after the Army becomes slowly desegregated, that we see some African-Americans begin to rise up in rank, and that's a, it's a big deal because 
obviously uh, a rank of general makes them a very significant person in the United States. It makes them a very significant person in the army, one that people have to recognize and salute. And so it creates some very weird, I think, conversations at the time and some very uh, interesting awakenings in some people as well. Uh, obviously, it's going to anger others, but that's, you know, it's part of it. And uh, I think it's important to note that most of the um, most of these African-Americans fighting uh, in the war, in the early parts of the war, were led by white, um, white Germans. Um, because African Americans couldn't, and they didn't trust them to be able to accomplish these roles. Yeah, specifically, ground troops uh, were usually led by white officers, white generals, and especially in Italy, and that caused a lot of animosity. I think, in depending on the situation, obviously, no thing is, no one thing is going to be alike. But depending on the situation, it could cause uh, some severe fracturing in the ranks. The Tuskegee Airmen, while they do have white officers above. Uh, their main people are really kind of centered command by African-Americans, which makes them, I think, very unique. Obviously, they, they do answer to some other officers, but the, the central people that these pilots are dealing with are all African-American. And so it creates a very unique situation. Their mechanics, right, are African-American. So everything about it is segregated. Next, I got here on the uh, yachts, the return home. These to see airmen were able to return home. I know we talked about this earlier. Uh, the rewards were given away later because... The African Americans at the time weren't really recognized for their achievements. Um, as the Tuskegee Airmen came home, you know they would be segregated once again. Um, colored soldiers on the left, white soldiers on the right, or colored on the right, uh, white on the left. And this just shows further how America was basically fighting for the liberties of um, against evil, kind of in a sense with World War Two. And when they came home. They were the evil, in a sense. So the African-Americans really weren't allowed uh, the same rights as the people they were fighting for, which is uh, awful. Yeah, especially when you look at the war and you talk about this as a war against tyranny and oppression. And you you look at everything the Nazis did, obviously, and the Japanese, all the places they occupied. And then you have these these men who serve in this very important combat role, right? They're in charge of these $1,000, multi-thousand-dollar aircraft. They have ranks. They they have officer titles and everything else. They come back home, and they're not allowed to eat in the same restaurants as German POWs, right? And and I think that's uh, something that is very tragic, um, as as we you know talked about. And actually, our last trip to the World War II Museum, we went and looked at that. And if you remember, they had a it was a, a little placard and it talked about how when they would get shipped off, right off to the, the training grounds, right. They would segregate them at bus stations. And so that just shows you again, the, the amount of discrimination that was taking place uh, at this time. I know you guys want to talk a little bit about the double V for victory idea. Yes. I think it's a really important movement. So. so double victory was an idea that was going throughout the United States that the African-Americans wanted to both fight off the Axis powers and the evil in Europe, but also were focused on uh, overcoming racism at home. So they really thought by helping in the war front and helping, they were, they were able to show that they could really help on both sides and show everybody that, hey, we're, we're really going to help the United States and fight off here, but at the same time, just be, and just set a precedent that they were, you know, 
out to help and they were like normal human beings like everybody else. Yeah. And I think it also kind of goes with the theme that once you establish like a freedom, like they did right with the various, you know, serving in the military, equal employment benefits in factories, you can't go backwards from that. And so that double V for victory was continue the progress we've made and make it go even further. And that is, you know, a motivation for some of these, you know, men and women is that they want to end some of this discrimination, which is why in the 1950s, a lot of your early civil rights leaders were veterans uh, from the war. So very important stuff. So uh, I'm going to close this out unless you guys have anything else you want to add. Nope. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Alex and Ethan. And this was episode four of season two of Tigers by the Fire about the Tuskegee Airmen. Thank you. Thank you.